Welcome to the Invincible Innovation Show, the podcast for changemakers. Each week, I talk to the most fascinating entrepreneurs and innovation leaders about innovation, strategy, and design. Hey, everyone. Today, we're going to talk about the future of food, VC investment, the Israeli tech scene, and so much more. Welcome to Invincible Innovation Live Show. I'm so glad that you're here. I'm Adima Zorkalio, product innovation and value creation expert. And I have a very, very special guest, Zoa. Hi. Hi, Zoa. Hi, hi. Well, so happy to see you. Zoa Pernat is the founder and CEO of Pernat Capital NCT. And he has so much to tell us. And we just started to, to talk about a few of, of the things we're going to discuss today. It's going to be really interesting. We're live on LinkedIn, YouTube, and Facebook. And you're really invited to join the discussion and ask questions. And I know we have so much to talk about general, like tech and VC and funding. And, but I'm, I want to start with the food tech because it's really interesting for me. It's always been interesting because food tech is not exactly high tech, right? It's, it's, a, it's a manufacturing in many cases. And as a vegan, I'm always really interested to see if, if it's going to be my direction or other directions. So it's always like you know, personally interesting for me. So could you tell us about the future of, of our food and what do you see in the industry and where it's going for? Well, uh, I see that you start from the end, right? Yeah. Uh, but this well, is like the, the thing that I wanted to ask. So I'm starting, but I'm sure we're going to have lots right of questions. Right at the end. But I think you yeah. touched the, the, probably the most important point, the most important part of the industry itself. We could talk about it more at the... Uh, later on, but uh, I think that's the multi- most important part. It's the, to balance the expectation between what we think about food tech, between what investors food think about food tech, what the industry think about that, uh, and what uh, the end consumer, right? Because in opposed to all uh, tech industries, someone at the end must buy it, right? It sure. must and uh, buy it and, and one, more than once, right? Yeah. It has to be tasty, it has to be good, it has to be nurtured. You have to love it. Uh, yeah. You need to consume you know, it. It's part of your daily life. It couldn't be like, yeah, I liked it once and that's it. If you like it once, it's a, it's a disaster, right? You have to, uh, it's a repeat. You have to repeat, go to the supermarket, order it online or whatever. Uh, and that's probably the most important part, to balance the expectation between what people think about food tech, right? Um, I think the first part is what people don't understand. It's a completely different industry. It's a completely different industry. The food industry, it's more conservative. It's slow. It's heavy. It thinks different uh, if you compare it to the IT, if you compare it to the cyber, or even to uh, more uh, conservative uh, tech companies, as we know it as EdTech, has been around for a while. It's completely different, you know. Uh, people have to understand that the, the decision-making process behind every product could take more than a year. It, it just just to think to think behind that. It's not plug and play. You don't download the software or whatever. I can I can tell you from my personal experience. Uh, in my one of our activities here in Israel, we represent Unilever. Uh, and Unilever, you know, is one of the largest player in the world, not just in food, in, uh, in home care and personal care. Uh, people have to understand that just 
to get the idea behind it and try to gather all the professional behind that, it could take even just the conference call behind it, it could take three, three months. Wow. So people have to understand that the pace of this specific industry is completely different. Uh, it's going to take more time than we, than we think. People have to have more patience behind that. Uh, and I think that brings me to maybe one of the most important uh, part of is issues behind food tech. It's the people behind that. We haven't talked about it in the past, but I think uh, in opposed to other tech companies, most of the founders come from the universities or from the labs. They are not business people. They look at the world completely different. They like the, the white suit or, the, or something like that that they wear at the labs. They like to deal with small stuff, but uh, it's very difficult for them to understand how the, the business world works. Yeah. And in Israel, especially in Israel, um, I think there is a limited number of professional, management professional, that could leverage their professional experience into the food tech industry. I can, I can name you, you know, uh, I wanted to start with that, but uh, I came across the, um, the food tech industry, I think it was something like five years ago. In coincidence, I was scrolling around LinkedIn and I saw an ad from the Kitchen Tech Hub. It's, it's connected to Strauss, it's located in Ashdod. They're looking for a business analyst part-time. I thought, I thought about that. It could be interesting, but you know, just uh, talk to a couple of friends of mine. They connected to me to Amir Zeitman. We can talk about him later, but I think mm -hmm. he's the most, one of the most important part of the Israeli food tech ecosystem is, the, I think, the, 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 uh, the most powerful influencer behind that. He started that with Jonathan, uh, the CEO of the Kitchen two, uh, Food Tech Hub, I think it was six years ago. He can bring uh, the unique capabilities of um, experience of management and the connection with food. And I think the we could talk more about that, the balance in the expectation and how food tech uh, startup could leverage the amazing idea that we have here. Really, it's, yeah. I think Israel is, you can take Israel or uh, Netherlands, I think Amsterdam and San Francisco. These are probably the most uh, vibrant uh, ecosystem of the food tech hub in the world. You can add, yeah. add New York, but you can add New York all the time. Really. Yeah, it doesn't matter. But it what you're matter. saying, is, is two things. It's slower because the industry and the players are slower. Like Unilever is a very big corporate and they're moving really slow in the decisions about what they're going to fund and what they're interested in. But what you're saying, it's more than that. The fact that we're creating something that someone needs to consume and changes behavior really substantially. It's not like, yeah, I, I'm trying to reduce... Um, eating less meat for one day and and that's it. Maybe I'll change it like uh, in, in half a year, I will go keto or whatever. It's more than that. I really need to like it and consume it in a way that it's part of my diet from now on, which is not that easy, right? Mm -hmm. So it's like three levels. One is like the industry. Second is the development of these kinds of um, initiatives and the third one is the change in the consumers 
that is needed in order to really be successful there. Exactly, exactly. Um, and, and, and I think we can talk a bit about how it, how it started, where, where it started, this food tech yeah. industry. When, you, when, we, when someone talk about food tech, some, someone is looking for innovation or some unique technology if you compare it to other industries like machine learning, AI, uh, data lakes or whatever. It started with a couple of guys mixing ingredients in, in the kitchen. Yeah. And, and they called it food tech, but it's not really food tech, right? It's just uh, a new, new, new look, a new vision about how we consume our, our food. And uh, they started it, we're trying to um, bring new products to the, to the market you, for yourself. You're vegan, right? Yeah. And, and, and everybody's looking for new products that you consume. It would be tasty, it could replace the food or the meat or, uh, that they're consuming today. So it started not as a food tech, but now it's, it's completely different. And I hope uh, the whole cultured meat or cultured milk that uh, this, the main character or the main features of the food tech industry today would change the expectation that we talked about. Uh, it could it could go a bit faster because it's real tech. Uh, it, it's a combination of more than just a couple of in, in ingredients mixed around in the kitchen. Uh, there are a couple of Israeli names, like uh, just for the example, Imaginary. I'm not, I'm not sure if you're familiar with the company. Yeah. Uh, Great name. They, they've done something quite unique. They combine the issue of food tech and real tech. They have a joint venture with the Tel Aviv University, and they are using their platform for the AI and machine learning to learn more about the product itself and make it better and faster for, uh, for the end market, for the end consumer. So I think that this combination of these joint ventures could help the, um, the industry uh, to accept uh, new products and new features or new snacks or milk or whatever faster, sooner, for the benefits of the consumer, right? Because uh, these, kind of, these companies, Unilever, PepsiCo, Mondelez, uh, Coca-Cola, the whole industry are looking for new growth, um, growth engines. Uh, they're growing 2%, 3% a year according to the population growth. They're always looking for new products, new... Uh, growth engines, I'm quite sure uh, that they haven't decided yet. You know, you asked me before what what is the main uh, the main power behind the, the behind the industry. I'm not sure that the industry decided. You know, you have the impossible meat and uh, all the industry behind that beyond meat. I'm quite sure that's not where we're going because that's become a commodity. You go to a yeah. supermarket in the U.S. You can buy a vegan hamburger for, from Cargill for, I think, 30% out of the cost of Beyond Meat. And it's not that yeah. different. People yeah. are looking for something completely different, and I'm not sure that uh, we're there already. Um, but I think the culture industry, the milk and the meat and the, and the chicken, the whole, the whole chicken industry could make a change, and uh, seafood, of course. You know, a lot of uh, advertising and and buzz behind the, the printed salmon or the, the cultured salmon in the last few yeah, weeks. Yeah, I saw that. The, the salmon, it looks good. Did you taste it? No, not yet. No. Uh, I've tasted it. That was, I think, uh, um, a company named, named Plantish. 
yeah. I tasted someone else, but I think it looks, at least from first sight, it looks amazing. Amazing. Yeah. Yeah. It looks good. So you, you mentioned a few uh, trends and we talked about uh, changing the meat industry and in chicken and in fish. So what are the main trends that we're talking about? Is it all like going to plant-based or not? Do we have additional trends like reducing sugar or making it more healthy or less fast food and more consumed by at home or whatever? I think that if we had the same conversation about two or three years ago, it was about all about plant-based. Plant-based, uh, the plant-based industry was on, on uh, an amazing hype behind that. But I think that people learn to understand that the plant-based industry is more connected to the ingredients industry. And if we're looking for something completely different, we're looking for something with real technology behind that, real company behind that. And that's the cultured meat or the cultured milk. Uh, and you mentioned, by the way, the issue of sugar. It's not that sexy, by the way. Yeah. Uh, and it's less tasty. It's you less cannot, tasty. You cannot reduce sugar and it will be the same thing. I think that when you're changing meat, it's, it's, I'm, I'm eating something different. It's not the same thing with less sweet. Exactly. But, it, but, but, but at least from my, my perspective, it's much more important because the issue of sugar uh, uh, is, I think, the, if you talk about the food industry, it's one of the largest factors for diabetes. Uh, yeah. And uh, I think if the industry would look at it from a different perspective, I think it, it's one of the most important part that they should deal with it. But you were completely right. Uh, I'm helping a company named Better Juice. They're reducing the uh, up to 80% out of the sugar from natural uh, juices. It could be for orange juice, uh, grapefruit, you know, whatever, as long as it's natural. But, uh, but it's less sweet. So people are trying to avoid that and trying to add replacement uh, that are not healthy for you. Um, at least from my experience, it's, it's, it takes time to adopt yourself to the new product. It's less, uh, but the issue of sugar reduction, I believe that it's one of the, uh, the main and major factor of the industry that they should uh, start looking at. Um, but I think if, if we take just a couple of minutes about, uh, I'm, I'm coming from the capital market industry. I spent more than 25 years in the capital market side I just moved from the capital market, from the public side to the private side a couple of years ago, five years ago. Uh, but it's it's still interesting. So uh, I think we talked about early, earlier about uh, the, the connection between the public side and the private side of the market in terms yeah. of valuation and, and the way that people look at the industry. I think it's important to mention that because that's, that's, the, that's the fuel behind the industry. If, yeah, uh, just just a few words just to explain. Public is like the, the stock market. Private is when I am as a as a person going to evaluate a, a a company and saying like that's my evaluation. It's not connected to the price of what will be their stock, whatever. Yeah, exactly. Uh, when when we look at uh, it's not you as a person. I hope for you. No. <laughs> uh, but it's more small mostly venture capital firms. Uh, private equity firms uh, or um, corporate venture capital firms, it could be. But the main difference behind that is 
that in opposed to other industries or tech industry, the food tech industry started uh, the funding started from the from the corporate side itself, not from the financial side. So Cargill, Unilever, Coca-Cola, Nestle, for example, was the all of these guys were the first initial funding a source for those companies. So they uh, when someone when someone starts something, it builds something according to their needs, right? If Net Nestle sure. needs something and they're willing to pay for that, they they sculpture and sculpt the, the company itself according to their needs. So it sure. started from the from the commercial side, but all of a sudden, uh, I think it was something like three or four years ago, small niche um, U.S. venture capital firms uh, joined the party. They started funding new uh, new startups, especially in the U.S. and in Israel. Uh, but I think it, it started really slow and small, something like um, seed investment or even pre-seed investment. But it started to change the, the industry itself. Uh, and then we saw some uh, small, small to mid-sized firms that uh, they are more from the general side. So they don't invest in a specific uh, philosophy or specific theme or niche. They invest uh, statistically all over the, the industry. They, they enter the, the food tech industry. Um, and we thought, I think that was one of your questions, the environmental side, the impact side. You know, yeah. you have a lot of uh, impact um, funds, but there are still small portion proportion out of the industry itself. Unfortunately, yeah. uh, and, and now the party is full on, right? Everybody is part of, of the party. Everybody wants to be a part of that, to take uh, a big chunk or a big piece out of those companies. And we saw the valuation in, in the last six months skyrocketing. Just yeah. yesterday, we saw. Not uh, only in food tech, like we're talking yeah. about food tech, but in general, right? In general, it's it's all about unicorn, right? When yeah, Waze was sold to Google, I think it was 10 years ago, it was wow, amazing, a billion dollar. But now all of a sudden, a billion dollar is a two-year company, something like that. Right. You right. just have to be a cyber company with an experienced entrepreneur. That's it. You have a unicorn. Yeah, like Quiz. Okay, for example, yeah. yeah. I think uh, although in the, in the food tech industry, it's a bit different. We just started with unicorns. But redefine me just uh, raised one hundred and thirty million dollars yesterday. It was announced, and Remilk yeah. uh, raised two hundred and twenty a couple wow. of weeks ago. And you can uh, Ale Farms, the uh, part of the Kitchen Tech Hub, raised one twenty. Was six months ago. Wow. And uh, and, and so, how do you explain the, like these amounts of money invested in something which is initially a, a small very very small idea company so i think it's it, it's it's connected again to the public markets and and, and look at uh, people are, uh, companies are looking for high returns for the same uh, for the same investment and uh, and the alternative they, they have behind them uh, right now the cost of money or interest rate is negative or close to negative and they're looking for new uh, and innovative ideas that could generate more uh, revenue, more return, higher return in a shorter amount of time. And actually, the good ideas are very small. The number of good ideas are very small. Yeah. 
So you're thinking you're you're thinking it's it's not going to live up to the expectations uh, that there are very very high expectations as we hear. Mm -hmm. So what would happen to an entrepreneur uh, that gets two hundred twenty million dollars and the expectations are so high? What would happen in the next year or three? What do you think would happen? Well, I think that's the two hundred twenty million dollar question. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> And, and you, as a, as a professional consultant to those guys, uh, knows from previous experience what usually happens. You have 220. It looks a lot, right? It sounds yeah, a lot. It is a lot. It's a lot. <laughs> But the problem is that you, you have to, uh, in order to raise this kind of amount, you build some kind of uh, milestones that you have to accomplish. In the next three, four, five years, even in the next year, and you're trying to push harder in order to um, accomplish these milestones. And you add new employees, and you buy companies, and you buy technologies, and all of a sudden your burn rate is from one million a month to 20 millions a month because you have 70 employees, and you have to build uh, build up uh, a new structure or a new organization. And all of a sudden, 220 is not a lot, and you need much more in order to support the growth that you need. And that's exactly the, the, the gap between and the balance, the expectation of these investors that most of them, as we talk, it started with the commercial side, but now we're dealing with the guys that are not familiar with the industry. And they think, listen, one year, two years from now, we have a running company. It's not going to happen. It takes even the technology itself, the scale up of the technology itself, the pilots behind it, it takes much more time. And then they realize they have to put much more money inside. 220 is it's like uh, it's like uh, it's like a joke for them. Yeah. And, uh, and we saw that in the past. We saw that in 08. We saw it in the tech bubble. We saw it with beautiful and amazing ideas that we had here in Israel, even with better places as everybody Yeah, you know, we, we went to the north and on, on this weekend, you know, like snow, everybody needs to go there. So, and I saw this, they have these structures built for better place and it's just stuck there and it's, it stays there, you know, it's, it's, it's a small building that is for the electricity car and, and you see it and, and, and I know that what's going on right now with You know Elon Musk and, and his company and it, it's like it was a great idea but it didn't really succeed and so many people had these expectations from the, from I think Shagasti right yeah um, you know he was the, he, he, he is a real vision guy right right he was the head of his time and the only dif difference between him and Elon Musk is Elon Musk's ability to raise money yeah Elon Musk just a couple of I don't know, when say months or a couple of years ago, was on the verge of bankruptcy. Yeah. He, he needed a billion dollars right now just for the cash flow itself. Uh, and he, he, his abilities to raise money from the public side, from the stock market, is unbelievable. You know, he is a visionary, of course. He's amazing, blah, blah, blah. That's, yeah. uh, that's obvious. But the only difference between them is that he was ahead of his time. And like 10 years ahead of his time and the ability to raise yeah. money and take that takes us to the, the the previous point balancing the expectation between the investors and the food tech industry 
and understand that it will take time. Don't raise too much money right now, at least from my perspective. Build the company or the structure behind that, pace after pace. It makes much more sense uh, because uh, people think that, listen, I, you can raise money when you can. That's, that's the quote. That's the same. But uh, I just read a book a couple of uh, weeks ago, uh, raise enough money in order to, to bring yourself to the next round stronger and, and build trust with the investor itself. I think that's the most important part. Uh, it's going too fast, too high, uh, with, not, with some of the industry uh, of the investor are not the professional they are, or the experienced people behind that. It could, uh, it could lead to a couple of disasters. That's, where, that's what I think. Yeah. yeah. You know, like it's, it's like uh, when people uh, win the lottery, if you get a very, very high amount, uh, most of them in like two years, three years, they will go back even worse than what they were in, in the past. And you just indicated the entrepreneurs in Futech are people from university. And, and sometimes going from university to the business and going it from there really, really fast to, to somewhere, it's like you need to adjust it and to get better and maybe bring the right people to accomplish what you're, it's hard for you to, to accomplish. And, it takes time to build this. And, and you know, I see startups, they, they got funding and they started to put people into the company and, 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 and it takes time for them to work together, right? It's not like, yeah, we're bringing 100 developers. Yeah, it's, it doesn't work this way. They need to establish the connection, the way they collaborate and the methods. It takes time. It's not like out of the box, you bring them and just plugging them into the, into the company. So I you, guess you just uh, you just answer my question. You, you know, you asked me about the two twenty. Uh, I wanted to ask you as 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 a professional uh, consultant, if you deal with startups that all of a sudden receive that kind of amount of funding, yeah, they go around uh, adding new uh, new professionals to the team, right? It takes time. It's it's yeah. people behind it, right? Yeah, and making good decisions take time. It's not like. I think that in Israel we're working really fast and we're so proactive, but sometimes it doesn't mean that it's the right thing. Sometimes not doing something is a good decision. And in Israel, it's like inconceivable. Not doing something is a good decision. We, I had one of the, of the talks that I had in the past. It was someone who was talking about decision making. And he said that not making a decision is, is something that is like in the business world, it's like, you're not making a, a decision right now. You're not doing proactively something. And sometimes, yeah, they just need to really understand what they're going to build and how they're going to do it and do it in stages instead of like running. And sometimes when you're running, uh, you, you sometimes fall. But I, I think that in, when we're talking about tech in general, this is for sure right. But in food tech, because I think it's because it's manufacturing, it's not like a virtual machine that you're building here. It's not like a software. It's something that is tangible, right? And, and you need to create it and you need um, manufacturers and you need a way to transport it and you need to sell it and you need to, uh, to market it. And there's so many things in additional to your tech, which is just the beginning of what's going to be successful here. And so, so it's like more barriers to the success. It's, it's like 
a bit similar to what we have in uh, med medical uh, tech, med tech, mm. medical health. Yeah, I agree. There are so many restrictions, other restrictions, not like in, in food tech. That's the the, the med tech is from the regulatory side. Yeah. Although the food tech has some regulatory side, but not you can't compare it to the med tech yeah. uh, industry. But I think you, you're you're completely right. People don't understand that it's not the plug and play. You you can't don't download the software. You have to even get a, a real site, a facility to manufacture it, the logistics behind that. You talked about the decision-making process. People don't understand that that's probably the most important part uh, in the whole industry. It involves too, uh, so many people, so many amount of companies behind that that ship the product itself, that produce it, that they make the QA for it, uh, the facility behind the, the real estate. You have to find the real estate for, to, for the pilot itself, the connection. It's, it's so difficult and, so, uh, and you, can com you cannot compare it. Cannot compare it to other industry, unfortunately. Uh, and you cannot compare it in terms of valuation, in terms of product, in terms of, you know, even the, the shelf life. Okay, just for the example. If you download the software, you don't, you don't have to think about how long it's going to be in the fridge, right? Yeah. yeah, the companies have to think about how many how much how many months it's going to be on the shelf life itself. If people buy it, if you shipped it uh, in refrigerated uh, uh, vessel or something like that, it's so complicated, so many details. It's uh, they need help. You know. By the way, we haven't talked about that, but uh, most of the VC funds of the investor itself uh, support their portfolio companies, especially in other industry, because they know it well. If, if someone sold a cyber company or an ad company, or uh, it could be even uh, a mobility companies, people have experience with that. The experience within the food tech is practically zero, practically zero. If you compare it to other industry, five years is nothing. And the investor that invest on, in those company would like to say, listen, we're, we're much more than investors. We have offices in New York and we have offices in San Francisco. We know the industry, blah, blah, blah. But at the end of the day, when the entrepreneur take up, takes up the phone or sends an email, they don't have the right answers to those questions. They don't have the right experience. And those guys return again for the Unilever of the industry, for the Coca-Cola and the PepsiCo and the Middle East for the, the same answers. And again, they give them the answers that Mondelez needs. Right, they want. Yeah, and, what and they, they want. Yeah, and the way they shape the startup itself goes to a million directions. So it, it's very important for this decision-making process, for the support from the investor itself, and the, um, the, to shape the, the organization behind it. You know, part of that, the, the whole fundraising issue that we talked about, they told this: listen, we're going to a massive campaign of M&A. Right? We're going to buy and acquire new companies. It could be in yeah. Germany, it could be in the US, we don't care. So instead of uh, um, internal R&D, we're going to buy new companies and that's the way that we're going to accomplish the milestone that we promised. But you as a professional, you know it's, it's the combination of different people from different mentality, from different kind of countries, it's going to be extremely different. Yeah, of course. Again, I don't, I don't want to be a, a, a part of it. <laughs> Yeah, uh, but you know, like in general, the statistics says that about 98% of startups fail. 
like it's it's that's the statistics so we're not like surprising anyone i guess but i wanted to by ask way, I, what... think, i think these uh, by the way i think these statistics are uh, connected to a, a mature industry that had some failure in the past but uh, uh, if we look at the food tech industry it's i think the rates are a bit higher if, if it could higher. go higher than if 98, it could go 99.9 so, you know so the we... whole food tech industry started uh, with a couple of uh, small uh, small entrepreneurs who could be in brooklyn in san francisco whatever that manufacture something from themselves it started from uh, beer or chocolate or something like that small uh, shops they evolved to a massive company Yeah. So uh, I completely agree. But again, we're good times. We have to celebrate. Yeah, good times, for sure. Good times is like... But I wanted to ask you, you mentioned like San Francisco, Amsterdam and Israel. And I wanted to ask you, why do you think Israel, you know, we're not good in manufacturing, that's it. Like we don't have manufacturers that are so successful, surely not international uh, coming from Israel. So it, it doesn't like how does it match up because we are not that good in manufacturing. I guess that our academies are not more I don't know professional than other academies for, for this professional. So why, why here? I think that's a great question. Uh, usually when someone asks uh, about the Israeli tech industry, Uh, they direct them to the intelligent uh, unit in the, in the army. Yeah, right? in the army. Yeah. It's connected to the army, but it's had, this time it has no connection to the yeah. intelligent uh, units of the army. And it's, as you said, it's not connected because we have no background or his, uh, history about the uh, food industry. We have sure. a small food industry, you know, that tried to support the Israeli new state a couple of uh, decades ago. I think, I think the... the I think we talked about it in the past in one of the of the podcasts that we have I think it's something like six months ago with the guys uh, from from the US I don't remember the name we talked about the, the Israeli hutzpah right yeah hutzpah. The, yeah the nature of the Israeli entrepreneur but again the the Israeli Academy with the con uh, the, uh, the Hebrew University and you have the um, Um, Department of uh, Agriculture in Rehovot. Yeah. The combination of the Israeli uh, nature, the chutzpah that we talked about, and the, the, these specific academies, I think that's, that's the, the root. That's, that, that's where it started. That's where it all started. But uh, again, it's, it's not enough because, as you said, you have uh, amazing academies and industry uh, Uh, in, in the US, in Chicago, or in, in the Netherlands, and whatever. But what, what makes us different? I think it's the drive, the, 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 the ambitions behind that, to push the limits. Uh, as a vegan, I think Israel has one of the highest vegan rates. Yeah, the highest. The Compared to, to the uh, intercentage, <clears throat> it's not like total, of course. Yeah. I, think, I think one of the, the main points is that people uh, started to look for new products that they consume for themselves. Yeah. And if the percentage here in Israel in the combination between the, the character and the universities and the academy, and that, that people are look, look, trying to look for new products for themselves, I think that's the part. But again, you, you can start 
say you can say uh, it connected to the cherry tomato, right? I think that yeah. they were invented here. Invented and and uh, although we don't have any yeah. history of, uh, of agriculture here yeah. in Israel, Netafim and uh, the kibbutzim behind them, yeah. it's really hard, yeah. to, hard to pinpoint the, the exact yeah. moment or the exact reason why it happened here in Israel. But by the way, I think if we talked about the Kitchen Food Tech Hub, it was the first one here in Israel. The, the support of the, of the Israeli um, economy, of the Israeli uh, government, is highly important. You know, the yeah. Israeli uh, Innovation Authority yeah. played a massive, massive contribution uh, in this environment. They, they took the whole risk at the beginning. You know, yeah. Strauss, just Strauss gave something, a couple of thousand shekels, hundreds of thousands of shekels, but the, the government itself took the whole risk and they pushed the industry. Yeah. They, they changed the industry and they shaped it as it looked today. Uh, but we can add the Volcanic uh, Institute. You familiar, you're familiar with them? Yeah. They have a lot of years of experience. Yeah, exactly. A lot of years of experience. But again, it was more from the research side. Yeah. You know, we have... It's strange when you, when you think about, about the main scientists uh, of Israel. Uh, I had a talk, one of my previous chapters was with Orna Berry. She was the head scientist of Israel. And, and she said, and she like, told the story of how did it begin, and how, it, how is it right now, and what they've done in order to do so, like to make the, comp the, the financial economy of Israel more stable. They decided to go for this kind of, of uh, way of, of working, which many other more established uh, European countries are going coming back to Israel and trying to do it right now, which is a bit like later, like 40 years, 30 years later. But I think that it's even more interesting in the context of coming from the academy, because in most of our entrepreneurs are not coming from the academy. Like most of them, they're coming from the private sector, they're coming from the army, they're coming from whatever they know and they're trying to 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 do what like have the most motivation the highest ideas that they could just try and coming from academy is very very strange in all of the i think not only in israel because the 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 personality of somebody who's like a researcher is so different from an entrepreneur is like doing things like business way of thinking and it's Strange that this is like the first time that I hear about someone coming from the academy. Like maybe you could say um, um, Mobili, Mobili inventor. He came from academy, right? But that's the only thing that comes to my mind. Yeah, he's he's academy. one of a kind. He's one of a kind. He has yeah, the so capability. It's only one person. He has but the capability of being uh, an entrepreneur and and from the research side, from the academy side, most of them doesn't have it. You know, yeah. it, it's it's even from the basic uh, from the basic situation. These guys would like to stay backstage, even yeah. if, if even with uh, when I escort them or walk with them or go with them to enter to uh, um, a VC meeting. They would rather uh, stay in the lab. They don't want to be a part of that. It's very frustrating for them. The 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 whole procedure of fundraising itself. So that's that's exactly we started with the issue that uh, the food tech industry is, uh, has lack of professional business people, and that's the reason why 
when you see someone that could do both things, that is exceptional, that's the reason why the company is so flourished and so, uh, so successful. Uh, and it has the capability of going and scale up uh, nationwide. It could go to the US or whatever. But these are, um, most of the time, you can't see them. Yeah. That's, that's way, the reason, by the way, that uh, a lot of people from the industry itself, from Unilever, from Coca-Cola, from Nestle, are joining the food tech industry, trying to add um, from their experience and their knowledge and their connection. They're helping, helping a lot. Yeah, because in their own companies, in the internal innovation teams, they have these people, their own researchers, and they have the business people, and they will go and get the funding from the CEO and then from the C-level. They have these like levels of people who are doing it within the company. It's usually not the same people in the innovation um, team going and doing it. And, and when you're an entrepreneur, you, you need to do both. You need to do this and this and this. You, you don't have any other opportunity. Um, just That's the reason, by else. the way, uh, these um, multinational corporates understood that they have to take the innovation side from the external, take it external. It's yeah, it's innovation. To, uh, it's extremely difficult to innovate within the, the company itself because, uh, you know, they have the products, they don't have to take they don't like to take this risk risk behind it. Someone yeah. else, they will take the risk. They will be a part of the industry, the ecosystem. Yeah. Uh, you, you see most of them either have an accelerator or a VC or a hub or something like that. They're trying to learn from the industry. We talked at the beginning of the conversation about uh, business intelligence. Mm -hmm. All of those guys has... Uh, scouters here in Israel, they're doing the, the same uh, the same job for them as a business intelligence uh, from the business intelligence side, trying to learn what would be the next uh, next feature or the next product or the next next design or whatever, um, preparing them for the uh, for the next stage. Yeah, but but you mentioned that it's hard for them to take risks, but it's more than that. Even if they do decide to take the risk. It's very hard for them to move fast and to change things and to really innovate uh, massively within their company because, as you said, they're very traditional. They're moving very, very slow. They, they have these people that they are very good for, uh, you know, uh, for uh, being excellent at what they're doing, but not doing things really, really differently. And and therefore, it's harder for them to do so. Mm, I guess. I agree. Mm -hmm. So we we are almost done. I want. I have like tons of questions that I didn't have time to ask. But I would ask this, like, if you had a leader of one of these companies, let's say Coca-Cola coming to you, what would be the, the number one tip you would give him in order to innovate better in what you learned from our uh, experience as very young, uh, innovative food tech uh, nation? That's a difficult question, I have to say. I would say uh, do things differently. So when, when I say do things differently, don't go to the obvious. Don't go to the culture side meat or the milk or whatever. Look for it because it, it looks like it's a, it's a very crowded neighborhood. A lot of companies behind that. Someone would, I'm not sure if the winner takes it all right, if, if a specific company will dominate the industry, but it's already quite crowded. 
unless you already have some kind of a relationship with one of them, look differently, look elsewhere. Uh, we talked about the issue of sugar reduction. I think that's the next uh, big uh, issue, uh, especially if you're talking about uh, a beverage company. Uh, that's a main problem, a main pain for these guys. Look over there um, and and try to find it's it's much more than the solution itself. Uh, trying to find and, and nurture the, the right person or the right people or the right team behind that. Because otherwise, you're just going to have uh, an amazing idea standing over there without any usage. Uh, so again, don't go to the obvious, don't go to the crowded scene. Some Look for something unique, something else, and look for the best team that you can find. Because ideas you have all around the place. You can, uh, yeah. you know, I, I hear about new ideas almost on a daily basis. Right. But Thank it's you. very difficult to find the right team that could manage the expectation that we, we talked about and, and understanding that it uh, it's a different environment, di different situation, especially if you're coming from traditional tech. Yeah, of course. So I want to thank you for joining me. It's been really, really interesting. And uh, I would ask, like, if somebody wants to uh, contact you and ask you some questions and hear more about what you do, where would they find you? Yeah, first of all, we haven't talked about what I do. Right. And I thought, and I thought that would be something like 20 minutes out of the conversation. <laughs> yeah, I have like lots of questions related to Personal that. branding, you know, everybody talks about personal branding, but uh, I'm on LinkedIn. You're, you're, feel free you're to totally connect. Right. Yeah, feel free to connect. I'm on LinkedIn. I approve every, everyone. Uh, and if anyone needs help or any support, not just in food tech, but in fundraising for startups, Feel free again. And it was my pleasure. It's, it's been a pleasure. Maybe we should do it again. And then I'll, yeah. I'll give you more time for what we, we have like in mind. Uh, and to all you change makers out there, thank you for joining me. And if you want to learn more about what I do, go to InventableInnovation.com. And I'll see you next week with another innovative, insightful talk. See ya. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. I'm Adima Zaukario, and you've been listening to the Invincible Innovation Podcast. Make sure to visit our website, invincibleinnovation.com, where you can learn more about our programs and my book, Innovating Through Chaos. I'll be waiting for you next week in our next episode. Thank you for listening.